TED Audio Collective. Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. Now your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, everyone. Debbie here. Something a little different today. It's an episode from a podcast from my friends over at Pushkin Industries, and it's called A Slight Change of Plans. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by the changes in your life and have been unsure how to navigate them, you're not alone. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's hosted by Dr. Maya Shankar, a cognitive scientist who is an expert on human behavior. Every week, she has intimate conversations with celebrities like Tiffany Haddish and Riz Ahmed, as well as real-life inspirations like Christine Ha, who became blind in her early 20s and went on to win the reality television show Master Chef. Maya is also joined by change experts, including Ted's own Adam Grant, whose scientific insights help us make better decisions and live happier, more fulfilling lives. In this episode, Maya sits down with Grammy-winning singer-songwriter Casey Musgraves. Casey has never been willing to change herself or her music for anyone else until a psychedelic trip allowed her to change on her own terms. Okay, here's the episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You can hear more of A Slight Change of Plans wherever you love your podcasts. Hey, y'all, it's Elise. I have another podcast to tell you about. It's called In the Making. It's an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express. It's the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. In the Making takes an honest look at the challenges and rewards of being part of the creator economy. The series kicks off with Puno, who is a creative director and educator. On the show, host Teresa Au explores how you can use the principles of design to create a career you love. Puno did it. Puno is a web designer and content creator and the founder of an online education platform called I Love Creatives. And on the show, Puno shares her journey from working on the Call of Duty video game to building both a design studio and a trade school for digital design. Puno has practical advice for taking a thoughtful and iterative approach to career building. Most importantly, this show is actionable. It's about how you can take your own next step in the creative world and into the creator economy. It'll help you discover creative, intriguing people who are making a living and it'll probably inspire you no matter what you do. I know it certainly did for me. Search for In the Making in your podcast player. My thanks to In the Making and Adobe Express for their support. 
you're growing a business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you look at the history of country music, it is a genre based on songs that tell stories. And sometimes stories aren't always positive or mainstream. And I mean, Country music is supposed to be for people who are experiencing heartache, real life, struggle, jobs, divorce, heartbreak, you know, death, like all this. And so in my mind, the most country thing you can do is to like just talk about it all. That singer-songwriter Casey Musgraves. She says she's always had a strong sense of herself and her sound, even when it's cut against country music norms. In recent years, Casey's tried to further unlock her full self through psychedelic trips. Research in neuroscience shows that people can leave their trips with profound shifts in perspective and in certain personality traits that otherwise rarely change after age 30. A trait like openness, for example, which is highly associated with creativity, tends to decrease as we age. But scientific research coming out of Johns Hopkins University has shown that psychedelic experiences can actually increase people's openness, which includes everything from aesthetic appreciation to empathy to imagination. Literally the day after my experience, I mean, it was like the neurons were just firing off, like insane imagery, perspective. I mean, there was a massive explosion of creativity, ideas, the whole concept for my new album that I've been writing. One of my inspirations for creating this podcast has been to see how people change their perspectives of who they are and how they relate to the world in the face of a big change. Research shows that psychedelics can offer up a turbocharged version of this kind of change. And as a cognitive scientist, I've long been fascinated by the powerful impact psychedelics can have on the human mind. But my interest lies exclusively in the scientific realm. It's worth noting that experimenting with these drugs without close medical guidance and a full evaluation of one's mental health history can carry considerable risk. For this episode of A Slight Change of Plans, I wanted to talk to Casey Musgraves about the role psychedelics has played in her creative process, both for her Grammy award-winning album, Golden Hour, and for her upcoming album, which she says was inspired by a guided psychedelic trip. I'm Maya Shunker, and this is A Slight Change of Plans, a show that dives deep into the world of change and hopefully gets us to think differently about change in our own lives. What's astonishing to me is that when researchers run studies, right, controlled studies where they're Mm -hmm. looking at the impact of psychedelics on people, so many will say, wow, that was one of the most profound experiences of my entire life. Yes. And yet they really, really have a hard time putting into words why that was, or even describing the experience. It's like the vocabulary that we have in our language is insufficient to describe. Yeah. Right. 
do you feel like having music as another vehicle for communication allows you to share what it felt like in a different way or more effectively? I feel like music is is totally a, another catalyst to feeling. And what's cool is if you really just break it down, I mean, it's sound waves. We're like these bags of water, basically. And like, when sound vibrates out and these sound waves hit you, I mean, it's cool that it can actually change your mood, change your mind. When you've tried psychedelics for the first time, had you hoped that it might inspire music or were you just on a sort of personal journey? Well, I've done it recreationally, you know. I think it's different when you do it with intention. I mean, what I was looking for most recently when I did a guided trip in January, you know, this past year I went through a divorce and um, it was not an easy time, uh, everything that came along with that. And so this experience, which was led by not only two of my friends, but one of them is a doctor, practicing doctor and her husband. It was about transforming my trauma, my um, tragedy into something else, you know, and everyone has their own form of trauma. This, this was mine, but experiences like this, they, they bring people to a, a place where they meet like their inner self healer, their inner child. And I mean, you know more about this than I do, but I just think it's interesting that, you know, as you live your life, you wear down these pathways in your brain, um, almost like little trails, you know, in the woods or something, whatever is in these psychedelics, this medicine, these plants, they can change these pathways and allow you to think differently, access different emotions, different memories, and um, change, change your life, change your habits. It literally the day after my experience, I mean, it was like the neurons were just firing off, like insane imagery, perspective. I mean, there was a massive explosion of creativity, ideas, the whole concept for my new album that I've been writing. Do you feel like these trips inspire lyrics or do they inspire melodies or do they inspire both? It's different every time, I think. And you can't really go in with like a a preconceived selfish want, you know, you're going to get what you get. And like the day after um, my guided trip, I was laying here on the bed. And so what's cool is you, you trip to this, um, to this playlist that's been curated by these scientists and these, these songs and there's songs from all over the world. There's classical music, there's Bach, Mozart, you know, but then there's like shamanic, you know, chants and drumming from Peru or Mexico. And there's also like, the Beatles and NDRE and it's very vast, you know? So you listen to this playlist, it guides you through these emotions and feelings um, purposefully. And some of it's pretty intense. And then you, as you kind of are coming out of your experience, you are resonating with these like massive feelings of gratitude and warmth. And the music that I heard, I've never heard music like that in my life. Like you could just, you feel it in your bones, like your cells, you're just like, it's running through you in a way that I've never, <laughs> never experienced before. And what's cool is you, you can go back to that playlist anytime and tap into those same feelings and you journal about it. And you're able to go right back to kind of where you were and be able to somewhat verbalize, you know, what you experienced. So the next day after the thing, I was laying on my bed and re-listening to this playlist and Bach came on and it was this sorrowful, tragic number. And 
the word tragedy popped in my head. It was like, boom, tragedy. And then I was like, wait, what if the new album is formulated like a modern tragedy? It's a modern tragedy. I've been through a tragedy and so has America, you know? And from there, it was just like, like just off the rails, like boom, 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 songs, album title, concept, visuals, like all of it. It was crazy. I thought about Romeo and Juliet and I thought about Starcross, the word Starcross that popped in my head and I thought I need to write a song called Starcross. And I love the definition of Starcross because it's two people who love each other so much, but they just cannot make it work because even the universe is against them. The stars are against them. They're ill-fated. They were doomed from the beginning, but there's love there. And I resonate a lot with that, with my personal story and what I've been through. And so I was like, okay, Starcross, I have to write that. So the next day I went in the studio, we wrote Starcrossed. It was our 40th song that we had written. What was the hardest song that you felt you wrote for this album, just from an emotional perspective? Mm, let me look at the song list. There's 15. There's uh, five songs in each act. In, in most tragedies, in a, like a, an artistic sense, there's three acts. There's the exposition, setting of the scene, act two, the rise of the conflict, and the downfall of the characters, the heartbreak. And then act three is like the resolution, the acceptance, you know, the reflection and the, the hope toward the future or whatever. So there's mm. five songs in each act. So there's a song on here called Camera Roll. And man, I it, it fucks me up bad. Like it still does. I, you know, after the divorce and everything, you know, you have all these photos of your life, your old life in your phone and you don't know what to do with them. You're like, do I delete this? This person didn't die. And these are still my memories, but like, I don't want to see them every day. Well, you know, you get to scrolling on your phone like one late night and you just wander down this dark alley that was all these wonderful memories at one point. And then you're just fucking stabbed in the heart. And I was walking past, I did that. And I was walking past the piano that I have in my house and I'm not a piano player really, but these keys, these certain keys like stuck out to me and this melody kind of came out. I don't know how really the beginning lyrics, they just came out too. And it's don't go through your camera roll so much. You don't know that you've forgotten what a trip, the way you can flip through all the good parts of it. I shouldn't have done it. Chronological order and nothing but torture. Scroll too far back, that's what you get. I don't want to see them, but I can't delete them. It just doesn't feel right yet. Not yet. And like, I just like could barely get through. I was like the ugly kind of like little kid cry. It's like, <laughs> just like um, snot running on my face. Um, so yeah, anyway, that one was really hard. There's a bunch on there. I mean, they're pretty raw. Like I'm sharing a lot about my, my inner feelings and that's like, it's not always easy for me. How do you feel that it changed your perspective of yourself? One thing that happened during my trip was I came face to face with myself as a nine-year-old girl and it was exactly me. Um, 
I saw her and I immediately felt this like intense compassion for her, this empathy. I started performing publicly around age nine. And so being on a stage, learning how to please all these other people that you don't know before you even really know how to delegate your own emotions within yourself. That's when my life kind of started to change from like normal childhood to like something else, you know? And I'm thankful for all of it because it made me who I am, but it's also, you know, it's weird. It's a weird thing. So I came face to face with her at one point and I said, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I gave her hugs. I gave her kisses and I felt for her because I can be very hard on myself. I can be like my worst critic, you know? And so I'm the first to beat myself up over a flawless performance that I'll find something that like no one would have noticed and I'll just shred myself for it. And so like it it taught me, it showed me to, to ease up on myself that I am like, I am good at loving. I am good at being a friend. I am, I've been through a lot and I deserve love. And it, it, it really gave me compassion for myself, which I think is, is really a beautiful thing. You know, um, I had all these childhood memories pop up that I hadn't remembered. Um, I mean, they're, and, and they played out in my mind, like, I was watching a home video, but it was me. And it was actually things that actually happened. Like there was a time in my life where, and I haven't talked about this really, but where I had a, a little bit of an eating disorder for like a little period of time in my early teens. And now looking back, I got it all, like it all downloaded in the, in this moment. It's like, oh yeah, I was wanting to relieve pressure of some kind, relieve pressure, find some control, you know? And it gave me compassion for the choices I made. Like it kind of just allowed me to just take a step back and see, you know, we all, we're all trying to figure it out. You mentioned, wow, I, I actually had an eating disorder. Yeah. Um, and I guess you just buried that away in your mind. I think I wrote it off being like, no, that wasn't an eating disorder. No, it was. It was, it was a very, it was, it was about with bulimia. I mean, I didn't, and I didn't talk to anyone about it. I didn't know how to, because I didn't, didn't really know that it was like bad. I mean, I just instinctively some for some reason felt that I needed to do that. Do you think part of that psychology of just feeling so much pressure has persisted, which is why it reoccurred to you during this more recent trip? Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess just showed me that like, everyone has their way of dealing with pressure and need, you know, you, you want to control more. I've learned a lot about control. You want to control when you don't feel safe. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I can really relate to that. Whatever is in your outside environment that is making you feel out of control, it just makes you grab on even harder, you know? So knowing that you're doing that and why you're doing that can at least maybe help you like stop. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I can completely relate to that. So I've never tried psychedelics, but as a neuroscientist, I'm obviously fascinated yeah, um, by totally. this topic. And neuroscientists have said that from a neurological point of view, psychedelics do put the brain into this childlike state of awe and wonder. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite psychologists, uh, her name is Allison Gopnik, um, she studies child development, has said that basically babies and children are tripping all the time, which is <laughs> such a fun and like colorful way of, of right. kind of understanding what it's like. Did you feel that that kind of childlike awe and 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 what kinds of things did you find yourself marveling at? I mean, you are just like astounded kind of at the beauty and the intricacy of the, of life and, um, nature. You're like, 
oh my God. And you, you think about, you have compassion for the earth as a living thing. You know, I just think that ultimately psychedelics, one thing that I love about them is that it's, they cause death to the human ego and the human ego has caused so many problems over, you know, over time. I mean, it's like, it, it puts things into perspective. And I was talking to my friend who um, is the, the doctor that I did the trip with. And one thing that I loved how she phrased this, and it's so true, is she said, in, in regards to psychedelics, you know, it's as if you're standing on a stage looking out to an audience, but the curtains are only open about a foot normally. This is, she's talking about like in your normal everyday human existence, but she's like these plants, they take that curtain and they open it all the way around 360 degrees so that you can look around and go, oh my God, there's so much more. There's so much more going on that I get to see and experience on the emotional spectrum, the creative spectrum. That's one thing is like after the trip, you know, here I am with all these new songs that I'm getting ready to put out into the world, some of which are super sarcastic or angry, uh, sad, lonely. I mean, there's like a huge range of emotion through what I like the past year that I've been through. Definitely after the trip, I was like, hold on, do I need to like delete some of these songs? Like they, they're definitely not coming from a super enlightened like person's perspective. Um, but I mean, I think that that's okay. I don't feel like I'd be doing myself a full service as a creator and as someone who went through something to, you know, deny myself the expression of some of these emotions that are pretty fucking negative. We'll be back in a moment with a slight change of plans. Casey's psychedelic trip helped her access the full range of emotions she experienced this past year, and she's poured it all into her new album. The Casey's commitment to being honest about who she is in her music is nothing new, and that presented some difficulties, especially early on in her career. Casey got her started in Nashville at age 19 when she was writing songs for other country music stars to sing. You're primarily writing for other people at this point. And then at a certain point, you realize, hey, wait a second. I don't want to give these songs away. I want to keep them for myself. Right. What was that like? Well, that's so I did notice a shift start happening where, um, you know, I would love to pitch songs to artists and get cuts and make a living that way. But then I started stumbling upon these songs that for whatever reason just didn't feel like they would really apply to anyone else but me. And I thought, well, maybe if I did get the chance, like I would. I would put these out. Was there a particular lyric or a particular song where you thought that for the first time? Can you share what that was? Well, it's some of the songs that were on my first album, same trailer, different park. It was more of a vibe. It was more of like, oh, this feels like me, you know? Um, and then once I kind of set those aside and then started thinking, okay, like I could, I could do this, I think. Um, that's when songs like Merry Go Round and Follow Your Arrow and things like that started coming out. So there was a moment where you you really wanted Merry Go Round to be the first single and you did get pushback from music execs. Can you describe how that conversation went? So Merry Go Round, first off, let me just say in country music, there is quite a formula. There's a formula when it comes down to deciding which songs are going to be popular, which songs are going to be pushed, 
which songs are going to get like radio play and and that formula has worked for a while you know what i mean so when it comes to labels deciding what they're going to put their money towards they're looking at what is going to be the the least risky mm. for them you know as a yep. business so that's why there's a huge rub when it comes to like art and commerce there just always has there always will be um merry-go-round doesn't fit into those parameters it's downtrod it's sarcastic it's depressing <laughs> it's real it's truthful it's biting um tempo wise it's not it doesn't sound like a lot of things that were being popular at that time like on the radio so i can see why as business people they'd be like oh no this is like a no for for listeners who aren't familiar with merry go round do you mind just sharing some of the lyrics from the chorus sure <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's a little bit of a trope on like the classic, uh, like a classic nursery rhyme, you know, it's like mama's hooked on Mary Kay, brother's hooked on Mary Jane, daddy's hooked on Mary two doors down, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, we get bored, so we get married, and just like dust, we settle in this town, on this broken merry-go-round, round, round we go. Where it stops, nobody knows. But it ain't slowing down this merry-go-round. So, you know, it's it's not like a happy-go-lucky like bop. It's mm-hmm. but it's real and it's um it's pointing the mirror inward. And I don't think that you know a lot of people don't want to hear songs like that. They don't want to hear songs that make them think. You know, if they're like. If they're bopping around in their in the minivan, like taking kids to school, maybe they don't want to go that deep. Maybe they just want to stay up here and that's fine. But for my first song that I wanted to put out there, I said, this is what I want to say. And if it's the only song I get to put out, I'm fine with that. Let's see what happens. And it did go. um, I can't even really remember, but it did get some good radio play. It got some some good traction. I think it made it to the top 10 or very near it. And it won Country Song of the Year oh, at the yeah. Grammy. Oh, <laughs> it won, yeah. It won a Grammy for Song of the Year. So I was like, take that, y'all. It's just like, it's like, why don't you just trust? Trust me. Trust me. I'm going to know myself way better than you know. And I know what's going to be best for me. And that may not always be like a freaking home run, but like, it was, though. Mm-hmm. It was. And you knew it. I love it. I think what's so striking to me about your story, and I think a lot of listeners will be so curious to know this, it is so hard to break into the music industry. And so you can easily imagine convincing yourself in the moment, okay, mm-hmm. I'm just going to cave a little bit, okay, just right? to break in, just to get a career going. And then at that point, I will and stand my I'll ground. Do. And then I'll right. do it. And yet, you were, you were absolutely resolute from the outset. Well, it's back. It's a backwards way of thinking the other way, because so then what you've broken in and you've now convinced everyone that you're this one thing and then you do a 180 on them and they're confused and they don't know what the hell you are. That sounds like hell to me. Like, I would never do that. Like, I would rather put my head down and work like exponentially harder at what I really am and what I'm passionate about and end up with less fans or less success than to have this like mansion on a hill filled with all these awards, you know, for things that I am not super proud of. Like, that just seems like a really, like, sad. It just seems sad. And I mean, art is just this, like, it's not supposed to be digestible for everyone. 
Um, you talked about things that are pretty unconventional to talk about in country music, right? Yeah. Uh, certainly at the time, like homosexuality, recreational drug use, not going to church. Um, how did you respond to that pushback? It's interesting because if you look at the history of country music, it is a genre based on songs that tell stories. And sometimes stories aren't always positive or mainstream. And I mean, country music is supposed to be for people who are experiencing heartache, real life, struggle, jobs, divorce, heartbreak, you know, death, like all this. And so in my mind, you know, you the most country thing you can do is to like, just talk about it all, you know? So I don't feel like I'm doing anything or that I've been doing anything revolutionary. I mean, I feel like I'm just doing my job as a songwriter to just take these lenses that I've been given and just absorb all this stuff. And it comes out it, most of the time in kind of a country way. I just can't help that, you know, but yeah. Yeah, I, I found it very powerful that so many people want to put the rebellious rebel label on you. Right. And you consistently reject it. Like you said, I mean, is it rebellious just to share your life story, right? right. Your version is it of reality? To, right. Is it what's so rebellious about championing all different kinds of people? If that's rebellious, then I guess, hell yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm a rebel. Count me right. in <laughs> for that matter. Yeah. Um, was this a trait you had to cultivate or does it just come naturally to you to, to stand your ground in this way? I really think it comes naturally. Like, I don't ever really remember it not being there. Um, I mean, even my dad said the other day on a, on the family thread, we were talking about, I was born early. I was like, I was a preemie. So I was a month early and he was like, um, you were going to do it on your terms from day one. <laughs> like you, you came early, you said, this is what we're doing and this is how I'm doing it. And it's always been like that, I guess. <laughs> Well, it does seem like you've you've also made a lot of intentional choices within your life to stay independent and autonomous, right? Like you don't have the entourage that you see a lot of people carry around with them at, at your level. I loved the story of how when you were traveling with your band, you opted not to sleep in the bedroom for the star, but instead you grabbed a bunk bed <laughs> along <laughs> with the rest of your band and your crew. Yeah, I wanted to be with everybody. <laughs> For some reason, I'm just like, because like I said, I, I realized early on, like, wow, okay, being an artist is very self, self involved. And, um, I've seen examples in, you know, in the industry of people that like lost touch with reality a little bit. And that's so sad to me. There's like nothing scarier. So I just want to stay that way. I want to stay attached to real people, real emotion. Like I've tried really hard to stay tuned into that. You know what I mean? Or I, I try, I think anyway. Do you feel in any way that this, you know, resolute commitment to authenticity and being yourself has any downsides, uh, mm. either in your professional or personal life? Well, I mean, you can get, you've got to check yourself because you can get so used to having it your way and like, you know, um, and speaking your mind about that, that you kind of can forget that there are other good ways too, that it just isn't, it's not always, your way isn't always the best or just because an idea was yours doesn't mean it's the best. So I think like reminding yourself that to trust other people's viewpoints, trust other people's collaboration and their advice, like is always good for somebody like me, that's very headstrong and has learned to be very self-reliant. I can just simmer back a little bit sometimes, you know, it's like, come on, just shut up. Like ultimately though, if like at the end of the day, if 
it's it's interesting. I'm like I have this like really like lightning fast um, assessment just to know whether something is like right for me or not. And I I don't like to waste time like entertaining something or going down a road if I just know that it's just not at the end of the day. It's just not me. I just don't really even mess with it. You know, I I think what's interesting is that Golden Hour was such a deeply personal Mm. album, but it also coincided with this incredibly warm, rich love story. And I think Mm -hmm. it's one thing to be vulnerable and open when you're in a really good place. It's like next level to be open and vulnerable when you're not in a good place. Oh, yeah. Man, I think my whole life I've, I'm the older sister, you know, I've been the performer. And I think like being that strong kind of like unfazed person was just kind of a go-to for me. And I realize now as I get older that that's the least strong thing that you can do is like to break open in front of someone and really be vulnerable is one of the strongest things that you can do. And so this, there was a period where I was like, I'm crumbling inside. I am not worthy of love. I suck at it. I'll never, I don't want to get attached to anybody ever again. Um, Felt really burned by it. You know what I mean? And so I have to remind myself that those feelings are even more relatable to people than like this, you know, fuzzy, like blissed out, like dopamine love album. I mean, that that's more of a rarity to feel, sadly, than the other, you know? So I think that it'll be even more relatable to people. You know, I went into this feeling like, oh my gosh, like I'm probably, I'm going to be crying in front of these people that I don't know super well, like whatever. But eventually at at some point that just goes out the window. And I mean, I was just broken open and sobbing and heaving and just letting go of all this stagnant energy that, you know, you like I was holding on to. And that alone is like therapeutic, you know? One thing that's interesting to me is what comes after golden hour, nighttime. And so, like, I'm in a nighttime period. And what's cool about that is that there will be light again. At the end of our conversation, I asked Casey if there were any songs about change on her upcoming album. There is a song on there called If I Was an Angel. And it's like, it's basically saying, if I was an angel, I wouldn't have to change my ways. You wouldn't have to change your ways. If I was an angel, I mean, everything would be just fine. If if I was an angel, uh, if I was an angel... I'd never have to change, I'd never have to change, but something's gotta change. A Slight Change of Plans is created and executive produced by me, Maya Shankar. Big thanks to everyone at Pushkin Industries, including our producer, Mola Board, associate producers, David Jaw and Julia Goodman, executive producers, Mia Lavelle and Justine Lang, senior editor, Jen Guerra, and sound design and mix engineers, Ben Tolliday and Jason Gambrell. Thanks also to Luis Guerra, who wrote our theme song, and Ginger Smith, who helped arrange the vocals. 
incidental music from Epidemic Sound. And of course, a very special thanks to Jimmy Lee. You can follow A Slight Change of Plans on Instagram at Dr. Maya Shunker. I really appreciate you uh, and your perspective, your I love when an interview goes far beyond an interview and it turns into a real conversation. And like, I, I crave that a lot. And I like told you guys shit that I literally haven't told anyone else. So 